As organizational leaders, we are responsible for a wide variety of assets that include company profits, team members, physical office space, or just the company as a whole. Yet, we forget about our most valuable asset, our health. We know that a lot of weight rests on our shoulders and we do not have the luxury, most of the time, to take off work due to poor health. On this first of a two-part podcast, we're taking a look at our U.S. healthcare system to uncover its flaws and understand what changes are being made that will affect both doctors and patients, especially with the baby boomers about to reach retirement. We cannot afford as a nation to continue to spend as much as we do, and mathematically, we just don't have enough money in the system to not focus on prevention anymore. Let's get to the podcast. Welcome to another episode of the ROI Podcast presented by the Indiana University Kelly School of Business. I'm your host, Matt Martella, alongside Associate Dean Phil Powell. On this two-part series, we're taking a look into the current healthcare system in America and what changes are on the way that could affect both doctors and patients, ultimately allowing us to protect our most valuable asset as leaders, our health. But before we dive into the content, I just want to say thank you to everyone who has been sharing our podcast on social media. It's an honor that you find our content valuable for not just yourselves, but for your friends, your family, and even your business. If you could do us a huge favor, we would love it if you could go to your favorite podcasting app and leave us a review because that helps our show grow. And for those of you tuning into the first time, we just want to say welcome to the Kelly family. We work hard to help organizations make better business decisions through our weekly podcast because we know the organization is only as good as its leadership. So if you would like for us to explore a topic, if you have any questions we could answer or would just like to recommend a guest for our show, shoot us an email to ROIPod. That's R-O-I-P-O-D at IUPUI.edu. On this episode, we sat down with the Department Chair of Health Policy and Management at the IU Fairbanks School of Public Health near Menachemi, who also teaches in our Kelly Business of Medicine MBA program. He helps us unpack the confusing healthcare system we have here in America and unveil some shocking truths about where we rank among the world's healthcare systems. And on next week's episode, Nir will help us understand what changes are being made and how they will affect us and our families in the future. In a recent entry in the Journal of the American Medical Association, published in early 2018, the United States spends almost twice as much in medical care than any other country around the globe. And that makes sense. We're a leading economic nation, we have a large population, and the price of health care in this country is expensive. But here's what's shocking. Though we spend way more than any other country, according to this study, the U.S. has an unimpressive life expectancy and infant mortality rate compared to other developed nations. Why? Before we have near answer that question, Let's put some dollars and cents to show how much we've actually spent on health care in the United States. According to that same journal article, in 2016, the U.S. spent 17.8% of its gross domestic product on health care. That translates to $3.3 trillion. That's trillion with a T. The closest country, in terms of comparison, spent 12.4% of its GDP. Yet their outcomes were much better. So what's the breakdown? We know that for any population, the drivers of what makes them sick or healthy 
are a function of, first and foremost, the behaviors that they engage in. Uh, that includes their nutrition, uh, includes their exercise. It also includes the level of education they have. These are all behaviors that someone can engage in. And in some cases, people do not have the option, given their life circumstance, to engage in some of those behaviors. And so uh, our best sort of research and the best science underpinning health suggests that as much as 50% of someone's health is a function of these behaviors that they they are engaging in on a day-in, day-out kind of uh, fashion. Another 20% of their health is a function of the environment that they live in. And by environment, we're talking about the quality of the existential requirements of life, right? First and foremost, you need air. So we're talking about the quality of the air. Uh, If you're in a high pollution area, for example, you'd be chronically exposed to poor air quality. Uh, The quality of our water. After air, we need water. Uh, You know, you can look to uh, Flint, Michigan to see what happened, for example, when the quality of the water goes south. It has huge repercussions in terms of health conditions that are then uh, manifesting themselves in the population there. Uh, The next important thing is the quality of the food that we eat. Uh, And the last thing in our environment is the quality of our shelter. And so you can think about sort of uh, exposure to lead in children in uh, maybe lower quality shelters, for example, or asbestos within buildings or homes where uh, exposure to that in our shelter could have, you know, serious implications to our health. And so between behaviors and environment, we just covered 70% of things that explain people's health and their outcomes after they're diagnosed with a disease. Another 20%, and that brings us now to a total of 90, are genetic factors. And by and large, I describe genetic factors as sort of the lottery of life. This is what you get when you are born. That is the hand you are dealt, and that's going to potentially predispose you to different sort of conditions or ailments or situations that uh, affect your health. By and large, there's very little that we can do for the vast majority of people given what their genetics are. Uh, The amount that we are able to do and are proud of in science represents a fraction of 1% of all the things that might be possible one day. And so here we have uh, 90% of health is a function of things that has nothing to do with accessing the healthcare system or even going to the doctor in the first place. And so the last 10%, uh, based on well-cited and well-supported research, is access to care. And yet, access to care in the minds of almost everyone is the make or break for, you know, what's going to decide your health. Um, And that's just plain and simply not true. Now, I don't want to say that access to care isn't important. It absolutely is, especially once you are sick. But in terms of what's going to prevent you from being sick in the first place or delay the amount of time before you develop your illness, it's all those other things. Uh, The most recent estimate suggests that we spend on average $10,000 per person in the United States per year on health care. That's about two and a half times the average of the, you know, comparable nations on, on Earth. And so, you know, we're comparing to the developed world. Uh, uh, So these are high income, mostly European countries uh, who spend significantly less than us. Now, when you look at our report card in terms of how we do versus them, 
they beat us on almost every metric. Uh, in fact, there are almost no metrics that the United States uh, does better on, despite our higher spending. And so one of the reasons that might be is that when you take our you know, $10,000 per person that we spend, and remember those breakouts on what decides our health or helps to sort of uh, determine who's going to be healthy and who's, whose outcomes are going to be best, we spend 88% of our dollars on that 10% access to care piece. And so we spend relatively little or nothing, something like 4% on health behaviors, which as we discussed, are 50%, uh, explain 50% of the outcomes in, in, of people in populations in terms of their health. And so we have this lopsided focus on putting our money towards sick care as opposed to preventive care. And so I always joke, I say it's like our healthcare system is uh, focused on Humpty Dumpty. Humpty Dumpty, as everyone is well aware, you know, fell off the wall and needed to be put back together again. And all of our resources are focused on figuring out how to put Humpty Dumpty back together again. If you have, you know, a heart attack, and by the way, the United States does well, not the best, but does relatively well on heart attack mortality, for example. And that's very akin to putting Humpty Dumpty back together again. You are sick, we know how to fix you. But we do relatively poorly on the world stage in preventing heart attacks in the first place, even though we know what causes them. I love Nier's example of Humpty Dumpty as a reflection of our current healthcare system. You know the old nursery rhyme, Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall, Humpty Dumpty had a great fall, all the king's horses and all the king's men they could not put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Except as a country, we are able to put Humpty Dumpty back together again. It's just a lot of effort and it's really expensive. The only problem is we never address why Humpty was on the wall in the first place. If we could prevent him from climbing the wall from the beginning, we would not need to put him back together. And if we follow that money trail, like Nir said, it's evident as a country, we pride ourselves and are fairly good at being able to put sick people back together. If we look at the percentages he gave, the majority of the spending we spend in our healthcare system goes to making people better. It doesn't go toward preventing people from getting sick in the first place. So number one, in order for us to protect our most valuable resource, our health, we need to recognize we have a serious problem in the United States. For example, if any business in this country spent vastly more than its competition, yet still was at the bottom of the list as far as performance, well, as business leaders, we know that organization would crumble, investors would step in and restructure processes, or the high-level executive decision makers would be let go. So how did we let this happen in the first place? Not surprisingly, your listeners will you know, be very familiar with the old adage of, it's always about the money. Uh, and that's obvious to folks in business. Uh, it's about the money here. And so when you think about the traditional way that we have been paying for health services, it has always been fee for service. That means someone is sick, they go to the doctor, the doctor fixes them and collects a fee from usually their insurance company. The incentives there are not about prevention. The incentives are actually perverse. The sicker the patients are and the more sort of problems they have, 
the more money that can be generated for the physician or the provider under a fee-for-service mentality. And that has also sort of contributed to a lot of the practices and a lot of sort of the unnecessary spending and utilization that occurs. We have a system that is incredibly expensive, incredibly inefficient, and the outcomes are unimpressive. When we take a step back, this is about poor organizational leadership and poor decision-making. A lot of it unintentional, but still. The literature says that 25 cents out of every healthcare dollar is waste. It's because of bad management. It's because of disorganization. But that should not obfuscate the fact that doctors and physicians and nurses and all other clinicians go to school to help people. The system exists to heal, and they're not trained to focus on the business side of healthcare. And so big question is, what can be done? The second way we can protect our most valuable asset, which remember is our health, is to improve business practices and leadership inside our healthcare industries. Because there are sweeping changes coming through our lawmaking process that will completely change how we approach healthcare as a nation. It's been so delightful to work with the physicians in the Business of Medicine MBA program. Uh, you can take almost any one of them uh, that has graduated in the last X number of years um, and get the anecdotes of how they have been able to transform their practices, their organizations. And even if they're still on the quest of doing so, talk to them about their confidence in being able to navigate these kind of quote unquote treacherous waters that no one else understands. When you go to medical school, you learn intensely how to focus on the individual patient in front of you. You don't figure out or you're never trained to think about how to think about the larger picture, like the community or the, the population that you are responsible for or all of the customers of the organization. And so where do you learn that? You really learn that in either business school or public health school uh, on how to think about the organization or the population. Um, and so, you know, I, I think it's a transformative experience to be retrained to think at a unit larger than the individual. And really, we know that focusing on the population or focusing on the organization is where a lot of the low-hanging fruits to improve health outcomes are. And so uh, at the end of the day, uh, without physicians, I don't think this could be done, uh, period. At the end of the day, healthcare is a business. Now, granted, it's a business with high ethical standards, with physicians who subscribe to Hippocratic Oath, but it's a business like every other. There's cash flow and budgets to manage. There are hospital rooms to keep stocked with equipment and beds and staff. There are marketing strategies that you have to implement to come through the door and get treatment from your physicians. And there are tough decisions to be made about payments and reimbursement and who gets the money. But you know, as Nir said, management is not taught in medical school. There are a lot of physicians out there looking to sharpen their management skills to become better organizational leaders. I recommend that they check into an MBA or an executive program for healthcare professionals. It just so happens that the Kelly School offers a great physician MBA program. In these programs, not only do physicians gain great business acumen, but they learn the soft skills and the emotional intelligence that make businesses outside of healthcare so successful. There is so much to learn outside of healthcare 
from basic evidence-based management to bring it into the clinic. And physicians want to combine the power of evidence-based management with evidence-based medicine. And that's exactly what the system needs. Because what's absolutely critical and something that my own research and my own observations has found time and time again, that the leadership of that conglomerate has to have strong physician presence. It cannot be uh, by administrators or by suits or by sort of insurance companies. It's got to be strong physician leadership um, in that sort of decision-making or at least strongly influencing the decision-making that occurs at that level. Uh, We know that because unlike administrators or unlike uh, insurance companies, physicians are in the trenches seeing exactly what's going on and are interacting with patients on a day-in, day-out basis. And more importantly, patients trust physicians. When I am sick, I want to see a doctor and I want to know what she has to say. Uh, I don't really want to hear what the you know CEO of her hospital currently has to say about my condition. And I'm just trusting that in the background, the organization is going to be doing all the things that I want and that are important for me. Uh, and so, sadly, and I'll bring my dad back into this uh, as a primary care physician who's now retired, uh, he never had an interest and frankly never had an opportunity and was self-selected to not care about the business side and the leadership side of organizations. He wanted to see patients in the clinic and that's what he did for 40 years. I don't think physicians have that luxury anymore because I think the demands on them are to be experts in the exam room or the surgical suite and also engaged in organizational decision making and then in sort of leadership by walking around with their colleagues, helping them understand why this decision is critical for everyone's best interest. And so without physicians in that role, uh, and physicians need training and need sort of to beef up their business and leadership skills to be able to do that effectively, uh, we're not going to move as quickly towards the panacea that I think everyone needs us to be at. So let's recap. On this first of a two-part podcast, NEAR helps us understand why our health system needs work so we can ultimately know how to protect our most valuable asset, our health. As NEAR said, we spend all of our time, money, and resources into putting people back together, yet we neglect how people got sick in the first place. The first way we can protect our most valuable asset, which is our health, is to recognize that we have a serious problem with our current system. As a country, we spend a lot of money in our healthcare, yet fall toward the bottom in quality, compared to other well-developed countries around the world. The second way we can start protecting our health is to improve the business practices and leadership within our healthcare organizations. Remember, doctors are focused and trained on how to care for patients, which leaves room for growth on how to create the best organizational practices. There are incredible educational resource programs out there, like the Kelly Business of Medicine MBA, to help doctors bridge that gap. And as we'll get into next week, this is not an easy fix because it involves changing the entire culture behind our current healthcare model that's been around for decades. Be sure to come back next week where we will continue our conversation on how to protect our most valuable asset, our health. 
Nir will help us explore what changes are underway and how they will affect not only the doctors providing the care, but also us as patients. This has been another episode of the ROI podcast presented by the Indiana University Kelly School of Business. I'm your host, Matt Martella, alongside Associate Dean Phil Powell, where we work hard to help organizations make better business decisions. We'll see you next week. Thank you.